0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And for this week's spoiler free chat, we're digging into the FMV Mystery of Immortality from developer Half Mermaid and Sam Barlow, in which the player attempts to uncover the mysterious fate of model turned actress Marissa Marcel. Marcel starred in three films between 1969 and 1999, but none were released, and she has since gone missing. But as luck would have it, the players access to the footage from these three films and must piece together what actually befell such a promising starlet. But it isn't just Neil and I sifting through film frames this week, as we're once again joined by Features Editor of TheGamer.com and returning friend of the show, Andrew King. Andrew, welcome back to the show.
1: Hello, it's wonderful to be in the safe room again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are elated to have you back to chat about a game that, you know, I think as we have all spent a good deal of time playing, it, it is sort of... Probably the first major, major beast I feel like we've covered on the show in a way that, you know, when you talk about that in terms of game size and a discussion that kind of Mm. envelops that this is the type of game that I feel like there's so much setup that you have to do before getting mm. to what is really great about it but in that sort of legwork um, it'll become clear why this is such a standout mm, yeah. title for uh, you know seemingly the three of us for this year.
2: I think we've had a basically a warm-up chat in, in the before we even started <laughs> that, yeah. uh, and I always think that's a good sign of a conversation going forward is
0: you can't wait to talk about it before the time you're actually right. supposed to talk about it yeah
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And, you know, this was my first experience with a Sam Barlow game, right? Which, you know, from some, again, my recurring bit on this show is just like, I need to make time for more games. And then I always end up coming to like the most recent project from a noted developer who, you know, is noted for having a unique approach to storytelling in games and uses the medium in ways that, you know, kind of challenges that that box that people have a tendency to put games in. Mm. Mm. Share, you know, what you find to be Barlow's defining quality as a storyteller in games. And, Andrew, I'd love to start with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the big defining characteristic I see in him is that he's taking the sort of... I mean, he was doing this before the game I'm about to mention came out, but he takes sort of the open... uh, world philosophy of a game like breath of the wild where you can run straight to the end from the beginning that's how all of his games have been you can if you know like the right you know word to i mean this is especially true in her story and telling lies that it's like if you know the right word you can type that word into the search bar and see the you know a clip that's going to unveil the whole mystery for you. That's sort of the equivalent in these games of, like, running to Ganondorf's castle in your underpants with a (laughs) mop, you know? (laughs) So he's taking, like, that sort of open-ended philosophy and mixing it with this really hard-on-its-sleeve love of film. And all of his games have been interested to varying degrees with you know, what makes film compelling and what makes various, like, formats of film compelling. Her story was all this grainy, like, inter- police interrogation footage. Telling lies was about, you know, it was, was taking um, two halves of, you know, phone, of video call conversations, and, like, you could find one, and then later you'd find the other. And so that was a different, you know, way that we interact with video, basically. And this one is basically everything in the kitchen sink right yeah. like it is it is like you said the the movies range from 1968 to 1999 and they look convincingly like they cover that full range of american film um and uh so that to me is his defining characteristic is he's deeply interested in like different video formats and how Movies and video are made and preserved, and he's also interested in letting you see everything from the beginning if you know where to look.
0: How about you, Neil? How do you find uh, Sam Barlow kind of bucks the uh, the normal sort of box that people tend to put? You know, interactive experiences uh, with games that are you know outside that traditional uh, traditional experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, Andrew has covered that superbly, naturally, so it's <laughs> so made my job a lot harder. But um yeah, he does a lot of the things I like about Hideo Kojima's work in that on a surface level, you could accuse him of just being very one note about what he's doing and very, oh, we get it. You like this. You like this. It's like that. But, you know, if you delve deeper, it's a love of both the form of game and the form of. You know, storytelling and other mediums, you know, and mm-hmm. it always is an interesting fusion when he does that. I think, but the key thing I think of the, the three games we were just talking about is that, you know, it, it's all about how you interpret it, isn't it? It's like, it's giving you the pieces like a jigsaw effectively, digital jigsaws, and Rummaging for it, finding it out. But this jigsaw can go in any way, shape or form you want. And like that, which makes it more difficult, and more intimidating. But all the same, the picture you get out of it can be wildly different from someone else's. Even with the the resolution of the story that you do get, you still have a very different experience. And this, as Andrew was saying, is like the pantheon of that. This is a thing that really takes that to a new level where you really can just drag entire different Threads out of it before anyone else does. You know, someone else could get there to the end, like you were saying, you know, very quickly and figure it all out. But it's not the end to figure it out. You know, that's just like the, the hook to say, "Here, come on, look for the mystery. Why do you know? Why does Ag- Agatha Christie's work still work to this day, even though you know that the outcomes of the story? It's how it's structured. You know, the weird thing about these games are that they are structured in a really seemingly haphazard way but they are actually quite you know a meticulously put together beast and that's quite smart because it puts all the onus on the player and that's you know where the game side of it comes in it's like it gives you that agency as a player to figure out the mystery through your actions and figure it as quickly yeah. or, or as long-winded as you want it to be like that while still having that very you know but, you know, normal traditional storytelling method of like, this is what the end is. All these pieces do fit together in a certain way. If you want them to go nuts, but yeah you know, I think it opens it up to, you know, that sort of healthier, wider discussion you can have about things like film, you know, where you can discuss the nuances of something, which we try to do in games a lot. But I think it's very hard when it comes to storytelling, especially in games, to really take it to that level that you can with film. Because whilst, you know, the interactivity is there, I think marrying the two things is often a bit of a strange one. You know, it's a bit of a strange marriage. So, uh, you know, we're we're talking about this game now in the same week that The Last of Us has come out for the 17th time. And, (laughs) you know, that's taken up more page clicks, airtime, whatever, because... Why wouldn't it? It's the big blockbuster version of what this is, you know, in a way like Andrew was saying this before we started, you know, they are both coming at the same thing from very different angles. And, but this feels like the more natural angle of immortality. I think it, it, it just doesn't feel as like weirdly for something that should be pretentious. It doesn't feel as pretentious as the last of us, which is no knock to that (laughs) game, you know, either. Yeah. I just think, there's an honesty to what Barlow has made in that regard. You know, it, it doesn't—that is more about a love of cinema, and not trying to be that love of cinema. Yeah, it's, it's something like that is.
1: Yeah, I think um, they're sort of coming at the—they're both taking the word cinematic, mm. like let's make a cinematic game, and they are saying, "Well, The Last of Us" will approach that as what is cinema to the viewer. And so mm-hmm. it's a very controlled experience. It's very, like, linear. And um, you're going to go through gameplay sections where you're very guided and you're going to hit cutscenes. And, like, it's all about turning the player into the viewer. And Barlow's games are approaching what it means to be cinematic through the viewpoint of the editor or the filmmaker, right? So it's, like, you are free because an artist is free to arrange the... the like, if you are arranging... The footage that you shot into a film, you have freedom to move parts around and put things here and there. And so you have that sort of complete freedom to take in everything that you have at your fingertips. Um, and so, like you said, that's sort of a more natural. I mean, I love The Last of Us. The Last of Us is my favorite, probably, you know, two top two or three favorite games of all time. But it is, Immortality is taking a much more, um, natural approach to cinema i mean it's we say natural it is not something that you i think would come to naturally right like last of us is so much more reasonable as like an evolution of what games can be like it isn't it isn't functionally all that different than like miss pac-man where it's like you have a level then you have a short cutscene in between the levels like Mm -hmm. it's taking the structure the games have had since the beginning basically when
2: you think in cinematic terms it's like even within that actual filmic idea of it is a very different space you can have very different interpretations of that and still mm-hmm. both of them be exceptional and acceptable um and so the yeah. last of us is spielberg to this being well lynch i suppose if you will is mm-hmm. being the obvious place people go to with it so you know they are two mm-hmm. very different versions of cinema but mm-hmm. both are equally you know revered in, in their own way
1: yeah i think um something that you were saying made me think about how I think you were talking about how the game is you will interpret it differently depending on how you play it mm. is this game feels sort of like the coolish effect in game form right like for people that don't know like cinematic terms the coolish effect is just the idea that what you see before a shot or after a shot informs how you interpret yeah. that shot. So like the example that they give is a man, a picture of a man's face and then a picture of, soup a picture of a man's face and then a picture of like a woman reclining it's like okay so if i see one first i think he's hungry if i see the other one i think he's horny like you have very different interpretations of it depending on what the image that follows is right Right. and so immortality you we're all going to have the same starting point right i think i think no matter you know who plays the game you're going to start with that clip of marissa marcel on like a fake johnny carson Mm. And then that is how you get into the rest of the game. But from there, like depending on what you click on in that scene, you're going to go to any number of places. Yeah. And so that's going to inform the way that the story forms in your mind, right? Like the each clip is sort of like Tetris blocks that are falling into place and those are going to be different for every person that yeah. plays
2: it. Yeah, much like you were saying about the whole Breath of the Wild style thing. It's sort it's really of like whatever path you take from that opening hill, you know, it, that is your decision for that point on. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah you're all going to come to the same conclusion but which way you decide to go is the true form of open world if you will you know in, in a this t- in a more metaphorical sense i suppose but yeah, it, yeah. It, it is there sorry so that was a really long-winded way to say yeah i didn't have <laughs> i didn't have much to say it's okay. like <laughs> <laughs> my signature dish
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think that it's uh Interesting in terms of me coming to this as my first Sam Barlow game, you know, we've now uh, mentioned The Last of Us, right? And that that was the type of game that played within the parameters of the types of, you know, cinematic experiences that a game of a traditional sense could be, kind of the example Andrew gave, right? Where it's, you have gameplay, you have a cutscene that's either informing you about a threat or, you know, building some kind of emotional relationship between characters or between characters and the player, and just mm-hmm. elevating that type of storytelling that's traditional, which is not not a knock against the game, but it's elevating it, whether that be production value, writing, performances that are going into it. Mm. Whereas my experience with Immortality is that it's challenging even the idea of not only just player agency in games, but, you know, more specifically, it's taking that FMV style, which, you know, is an established thing in games, right? We mm-hmm. have a mm-hmm. number of examples of that. As a project, it's taking that typically, you know, single narrative storytelling in FMV and expanding the scope. But if anything, the larger the scope is expanded or farther back, it's expanded. You know, the quality is not being degraded in the same sense that I typically associate, you know, experiences that get too big for their own good. If anything, you know, Mm -hmm. my enjoyment of immortality, like Andrew said, it begins with this, you know, grainy kind of. Uh, old stockroom footage from an episode of what is supposed to be Johnny Carson. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the further you delve into it, you know, you're going to go through different decades. You're going to go through different, you know, dialects people have, styles, the ways in which people talk, their wardrobe, all of these different things. And the authenticity that's given to each type of footage that you view, whether it be film footage, interviews, whether it be backstage, kind of like rehearsals or making of for the film itself, you know, there's this air of authenticity that continued to really impress me in a way that I don't Mm. think I've ever necessarily attributed to an FMV game before, right? It's the ability to really transcend time in a way more so than just like, okay, here's this character's experience from point A to point B. It's more, you know, seeing the aesthetic follow that throughout these time periods Mm. and back and forth before you even Mm. get to the mystery itself and anything like that. You know, that I found to be you know, overwhelming in the best sense of the word possible. Yeah. Um, just because it was redefining my expectations for the types of stories that you can tell in that medium, not just in terms of the traditional sense of, you know, the quality, the production value, the talent, but overall, just, you know, every facet of the storytelling for each mm-hmm. of those eras t- was continually changing, but the same uh-huh. amount of quality and care that was attributed to them, I found to just again transcend each of those periods and the sporadic nature of you know jumping between scenes and all those things you know i didn't experience the sense of whiplash that i thought i would Mm -hmm. even though you're changing Mm -hmm. time periods because the same level of quality and care to the authenticity (laughs) of the periods and the people i found to really carry over in a way that you know i might not have still uncovered everything there is about the game but it definitely is the type of thing that i kept coming back to even if i You know, found a lull maybe in my discovery process. Um, but I guess Mm. before we move on to, uh, your guys' first sort of 30 minutes to an hour with the game, which I want to know how that went for you guys, Mm. uh, we should probably, I should probably, you know, delve into a little bit more of the mechanics of this game in that. So you're delving into these three films that were unreleased and Mm -hmm. essentially you're beginning with scenes from that. And every time you access a scene, you can, you know, fast forward, you can rewind. You can slowly, you know, go through each frame to see maybe, oh, maybe there's a prop or you notice something in a scene that uh, stands out to you. And there's this feature called match cutting, which you can pause every single video. And then you can go into basically match cut mode, which lets you mm-hmm. select an item in the environment, which then cuts to another scene. You don't know, you don't have any real idea of which movie, which time period, what type of footage you're jumping to, but there is some sort of association between the scene that you're watching currently and the one that you're about to jump to. More often than not, it's tied to the prop that you're selecting, Mm -hmm. whether it be a person, an environment, or again, a prop. And Mm -hmm. initially, when I played this back during the Tribeca Games Festival uh, earlier this year, which I talked about briefly on the show, Um, I had 30 minutes to play and was immediately overwhelmed (laughs) and confused and completely out of my depth and element in terms of trying to, you know, master those mechanics and then trying to figure out just what the hell I'm doing, which I should Mm -hmm. also note uh, for the listeners that haven't gotten a chance to play this yet is that there's no real hand-holding in this at all or any indication of what you're supposed to do other than that You know, very basic and purposefully basic uh, box summary of what the game is, if you will. You have to uncover this mystery. These are the means in which you can begin to try to solve that. And it displays the mechanics for you. It gives you a brief little tutorial. And then the player is on their own. Mm -hmm. There's no objectives. There's no hand-holding. And, hey, you should focus on this. And Mm -hmm. that's all, of course, very intentional. And we'll dive into that a little bit more. but. Now that I've I've laid those mechanics out for uh, the listeners, uh, Neil, what was your first thirty minutes like with immortality? Because you didn't get to play it when I did during no. Tribeca, and you were. Uh, it, it turns out that you were uh, happy about that. I am. Uh,
2: yeah, at the time I was kind of devastated because I'd said what along you know when this got announced as a thing, and I was like. This sounds like a bit, a really, really ambitious bit. I want to be in on it. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. something about it just drew me in more than Barbara's other games. I played them pretty much after the fact, you know, all the time and found them very um, difficult things to get into. But once you get past that initial barrier that is really cool. I mean, her story was like a constant struggle for me. Not because necessarily because of the game, but because when I first played it I had a laptop that was utter shit for running games. <laughs> okay. And it would just overheat yeah. on anything and yeah, so I got like ten minutes into that game and it just kept crashing the laptop. So I didn't end up playing that game again for ages and then came back to it. It's like, Oh, okay, I like this, I like that. So it was never based on what those two experiences. I, I found them to be good. Yeah, I think they did really smart things, really good ideas. Um I'm always a sucker for ambition, you know, flaws and all, and will forgive many of those. Um I just felt they were a bit too, maybe a bit too tactile in, in, in the way they were, but not in a, not in an intimate way. And I think the difference here, straight away, was very clear: is that there is a deeper int- intimacy to the way this handles. You know, so instead of, um, feeling like I was logging into a stranger's computer to find the right bits of information, I sort of felt here, like I had the film and the machine in my hands. And, you know, I was there sipping my, sipping my whiskey, you know, eyes dry from staring at, you know, thoughts swelling from this from, this is in the first 30 minutes still. I'm telling you, it's like, it was hypnotic. I was there just thinking, I, I can't drag myself away from this. I, I don't, want to see an end to this you know and it was already dragging me in and without me realising it and I just felt like it was amazing when I thought about it later and getting really into the experience that it was like it's this almost cursed thing that you can't look away mm-hmm. from or stop thinking about and by the time you uncover anything later you know it, you realise how deep you've been dragged into it and deeper mm-hmm. than you ever thought you could by a game you know it mm-hmm. And yeah, it was all there in that first 30 minutes. It really was there without even revealing that much to me. Yeah, you know, it's like mm. I just felt like I was viewing something that was illicit, you know, and, and, um, that I'd just been sort of dumped in my, on my lap and sort through this and you're sort of uncovering it by accident. Yeah, you know, as I said, opposed to those old stories where it very much felt like you were playing a role um in a very direct way like you have to do this you have to look at this and make your mind up about what this is uh here it just felt like you you literally found it in very good movie terms you've found this thing and it seemed innocuous and now you're obsessed with it and it's taking over you and and which yeah just feels perfect you know for for what this is um yeah, so yeah, that, my first half hour was very positive, to say the least, so... <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my first half hour was separated by, like, a week from the rest of my time with this game. I was, like, out of state, working on a... Directing a short film that I wrote, as I was telling Jay and Neil before we started, um... And so I got this like right before we did our first read through of the script with the cast. And so I like started downloading. Once we did that, I came back. I played like half hour, was very tired. <laughs> and then we were filming the next day, I think. So I went to sleep and then was just so busy during that week that I didn't get back to it until the weekend before the reviews were due. I you know I was thinking about it that whole time. I've loved Barlow's other games, telling lies, especially. So I was, like, excited to get back, and, like, especially because that first um video does a good job of, like, threading mm. all the things that you're going to be uncover, or a lot of the things you're going to be uncovering. It specifically mentions two of the movies. It's taking place in canon, in the canon's chronology, before Marissa Marcel makes two of everything, the last of the three movies, and so it doesn't mention that, but it gives you the thread of, like, Um, Ambrosio, the first one, which takes place at a monastery where a woman has disguised herself as like a young monk and has snuck in and then gets involved with all sorts of lust and demons. Um, it tells you about that one. She's currently working on Minsky, which is her next one, which is like a new Hollywood era detective movie. So you know about those two things. It shows you a clip of Immortality, so or of Ambrosio, so if you click on one of the actors from that, it's going to take you to, like, clips from that movie, so it, it gets you started in that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it feels of a piece with Barlow's other things and that it feels like you're sort of dropped in the middle of nowhere, but the place you've been dropped is very designed to funnel you to a place you need to go. I mean, you could go uh, various different places. So like for that, you could click on the microphone on the Johnny Carson's desk. You could click on Johnny Carson himself. And that would take you to a different interview from that show. You could click on Marissa Marcel. That'll take you to another clip with her. You could click on her cup. That'll take you to another clip with a cup. Like there's all these different, you know, paths that you can go down, but still all of, all of the paths that you can go down have been specifically chosen, right? So it's like, it's not the illusion of choice, but it is a limited amount of choices, even if it seems overwhelming at first, right?
2: Yeah, but it's a freeing thing. It it really is, Mm -hmm. because we're saying how intimidating it could be and how intimidating the earlier games were. This really does just give you that sort of basic idea of freedom, where you're like, like, we'll, we'll lead you a little bit of the way, and again, this Breath of the Wild, Comparison is perfect because you do get that little bit of lead-in before you actually get to the the choice part, and it teaches you just enough to go out there and sort of spread your wings, so to speak. And then, yeah, it is very much dependent on how you feel and about things and what catches your eye in a scene, and, and which, yeah, as we've, I'm sure we've all seen, it is something different for everyone. You know, it, it, so mm-hmm. hence why you can take different paths, and that you know, it, to me is like the most exciting part of the whole system is that you know you can just have very different interpretations of how everything goes because you have an eye for something that someone else doesn't have an eye for and vice versa Mm. and that's great so it breathes that sort of you know you had those monotonous sort of conversations like 10, 15 years ago about choice in video games, mm. you know, and it was always like did you do the bad thing or did you do the good thing, like that, and uh-huh. it's like, and now it, this is like, feels it sounds wanky to say it, but it, it feels very sophisticated to mm. have something that is not telling you that, it's just saying you know, it's basically, no, yeah, you know, it's it's a Rorschach test for your eyes you, know, yeah. you know, we're saying, no, what does this look like you what is that, and getting to interpret where that match cut takes you you know as well Mm -hmm. like as you said some of them are really obvious and like oh this is this is a glass so that's a glass blah 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 but then Mm -hmm. sometimes thematically what was in the previous thing matches up with the next bit in a really subtle way and you're like oh okay that'd be interesting especially when you start to learn more about the story and you're like oh okay Mm -hmm. i like this i like that this means that again it just so you get the onion layers of interpretation from, hmm. well, I took this route, so I think this, but then also like, well, this scene took me to that scene. And from what I know from previous scenes, this now seems like a really impactful moment. And yet you still don't know the whole story, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, you know the, the meta story and the story of these films, you know, and it's all of a sudden like, wow, okay. And constantly you're just being one-upped in the case of, like, you'll think, oh, I know this, I know that, and then something else will come, you oh, no, maybe it could be this way. And I love that. That's one of my favourite mm-hmm. things about film, when you're just discovering a film and discussing it with people, no matter the quality or whatever, you can discuss theories and ideas, and, you know, it's been gamified now, you know, to, it, online, where that's a thing where everyone's going to talk about that as mm-hmm. articles, because does this mean that the blah 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 has happened to blah 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 and it's like we don't need that you know discussion about that is what you really need one way conversation doesn't work you know and so it kind of brings a bit of that back because you can't have one singular idea about it and that's where to me it's most like film you know it really does have that sort of you know, it's getting me like this where oh yeah 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 I have got to talk about it like that sort of thing yeah. and yeah in a year where I've watched less and less film but really been impacted by some of the stuff I've watched you know it, it's brought back that sort of excitement for me where I'm like I want to discuss this I really want to talk about this thing like that and you you almost get fanatical in a way that many people get fanatical about things that are far less um you know interesting in depth but um Mm -hmm. uh, and then you kind of go crazy because only some people are going to talk about this and they're going to people that are only going to talk about it in a certain way because they have their own personal you know way to spin it or an agenda and you don't really want to get into that because you really want to be positive about what you're talking about yeah it's just it's one of those instances where i just felt like yeah, you know what? I know why I love film so much. You know? mm-hmm. And um, it's crazy how it took a game to sort of really jolt my memory on that. <laughs> so, so.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that the game does a really fantastic job of creating the illusion of choice in the sense, you know, Andrew said, ultimately you're, only, you're being funneled down a couple of paths, right? In terms of the reveals. But, you know, it creates enough illusion of choice that you have the freedom to interact with anything you want, uh, kind of kick off any match cut that you want, but it's done so in a way that it really rewards that agency and that the player themselves gets to prioritize what scene to scene they find to be the most interesting, which, you know, really does double as the idea that you can keep. Cause of course with an FMV game, while this one is probably the largest scope and the most amount of, footage of any that i've played or even potentially ever um to a certain extent but it does a great job of not making the player tire of returning to past clips because because again Mm -hmm. you can't foresee the jumps that you'll take and what you could then draw out from okay well i'm gonna focus on this one thing in the environment but then you know because the player can um, either move the mouse or, you know, use the controller sticks to kind of like highlight what they want to. But there is a feature that if you press on like the D-pad, if you're playing on Xbox, it jumps to things in the environment, which, you know, that really is the way that you should play the game because that will reveal things that you would never think to highlight or to click on. I mean, it can be something as seemingly mundane or unimportant as, you know, A window and then all of a sudden it jumps to somewhere else that it might be the same window or maybe it's just a window that has some greater relevance to what you just watched in another scene Um, and that's an element that I think does a really good job of not allowing the player to really tire because you don't have a great deal of uh, ways that you can interact with the film that doesn't really evolve past that opening tutorial initially but overall you know There's greater significance and there is a lot of mystery tied to each scene in a way that allows that story to expand in ways that, you know, it might not always alter your understanding of things. It might not always, you know, introduce you to a new clue or something, but it creates that constant sense of, oh, this case is moving in the right direction, which, you know, for somebody like me, who sometimes might get frustrated with games that don't always, you know, point you in the direction you're supposed to go. This is able to do that in a way that doesn't feel unnatural. It just feels like, oh, well, I'm this detective and okay, I'm going to highlight this thing and maybe it'll lead to somewhere. But if this exact moment doesn't, perhaps there's two other clues in the environment that I wasn't thinking about or didn't realize right away. And all of a sudden I'm going down this new rabbit hole, which could then, you know, spiral into another 30 minute kind of deep dive into one specific element and then learning the significance of that. I mean, it only takes one clue to keep spiraling, which I think is the true essence of how this game capitalizes on the fact that it makes you feel like a detective, probably better than any game I have played that, you know, that uh, champions its ability to do so.
1: Yeah, I think um, this has highlighted something about choice in games that I – don't think about very often, which is how you are sort of predisposed to make certain choices. Right. So like there are times when I have like very late in the game, like after or close to when I w- rolled credits on it that I um <clears throat> would watch like a clip that I'd seen like three or four times before and then click on something and that, that suddenly took me into a new clip. And like, that made me realize, oh, I guess I just never clicked on that aspect of the scene before. Because it's like, I'll watch the scene multiple times, but then because I'm me, I'm drawn to the same things every time. And it will be like, I'll just click on that. I had the same experience playing the Outer Worlds DLC recently, because there's a maze in it. And I looked up how to get to the center of the maze. And it was basically like, there's something in the center of the maze that you can see. Just like walk so that you're always going towards that. And doing that was like, wow, I've walked past the path that I could have taken to get to the center of the maze multiple times and just didn't take it because my brain is predisposed for whatever reason to take the other path. And that's an interesting thing about choice in games is that depending on how you're hardwired, you will make choices that other people just would not think to make and won't think anything of the fact that you did that.
2: Yeah. And I think that's what's great about this game is it is something that trusts the player to do what they want to do. You know, it, it's not condescending. It's not dismissive of what you can do. It's like, yeah, your interpretation is fine. You know, it's like you may not find the same information someone else does, but you will find things. You know, and there was a run of this where I just kept finding new things and new discoveries. You know, that were really big, and it made me feel like the smartest person alive. You know, which you know <laughs> is yeah. You know, when you think about it in context, it's, it feels very condescending, but it's not the game's fault. It, it's just, it's like, suddenly you're just like, yeah, well, clearly I was meant to feel like this. You know, I was meant to feel like I was solving some great mystery. And you can be cynical about that, but in the moment, you're just, you're just very into it and you're like, oh my fucking God, I feel like I'm cracking the case sort of thing. And this is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm really into it. I want to do this. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it just does not leave your head when, when that happens because you get to that point, you you discover something. And we were saying before this, where I was like, I, um, you know, I found the trick to watching more films a few years ago was just like, you know, to not get caught up in the idea of like watching a film as a whole all the time. And sometimes you just have to watch it in bits and that's it. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky, a film will, Derail that plan uh, because it it hooks you at a point where you're like, no, I need to know. I need to know what the next bit. I need to go through with the story. I need to have some sort of conclusion, some sort of clarity about what's happening. And immortality keeps doing that. You know, where you keep having moments, and they're not even really always like massively, you know, relevant, revelatory moments in the story. It's just. They take you on a path where you're like, I want to know where this goes. I want to know where this goes. I want to know what happens with this character, and you go down that path, and suddenly you're like, Well, I was going to go to bed thirty minutes ago, but here I am, still sort of going down this rabbit hole. And that's what it is. It's always a rabbit hole with this game. Always a rabbit hole.
0: Well, that's that's the thing. It capitalizes on those aha moments. In the best of ways, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, the case breaking clue, it can be something, again, that's very minor. And yet the way in which a lot of those early clues, kind of reprogram the player's brain into realizing, oh, this is how I have to approach each clip of this movie, in a way that I found to be, you know, you know, not to be too hyperbolic about it, but like amazing in a way that I don't necessarily always attribute with games when I play them, especially when they're delving into like a mystery aspect or something. Um, it's the type of thing where you begin to pick up on clues that could be tied to an object. They could be tied to a specific person who's reoccurring throughout the three films, or it could just be a subtle interaction that you notice that's not the focal point of that particular clip from a movie or an interaction on an interview show or behind the scenes. And I think that that in and of itself pays a great deal to the writers, which I want to get more into uh, when we come back from our break in a minute. But one more thing that I think I wanted to touch upon that Andrew had said that really got me thinking is the idea of, you know, player choice and going outside – our norm in terms of, you know, how games overall, when we've been playing them all these years and whatnot, like we have these certain standards, I guess, with which we approach certain problems in games. And, you know, you can do your best to try to, you know, go outside your typical uh, your typical emotional compass, if you will, in certain games. But more often than not, you know, you're either going to go uh, Paragon or Renegade, if you will. Uh, but in something like this, it really does reward the player in a way that I found to be really, really exceptional in the fact that, okay, well I've been focusing on these actors for the last 30 minutes in terms of going through clips. Let me select the first thing that I come to on that sort of selection queue of different things you can interact in a scene. And I would kind of just, I would essentially roll a dice in my head and be like, okay, three clicks. And that's the thing I'm going to click on. And every single time I ended up highlighting something that, normally would not be my initial sort of, oh, I have to go look at this window or this painting. I would immediately be, you know, it would immediately just open up my brain to be like, okay, go against your inclination to select an actor or to select a prop. Select the most obscure thing in the environment and see where it takes you. Because again, not every scene is going to give you that clue that's like, oh shit, this is what happened. But it's going to inform something that you've seen previously Which then sends that whole other, you know, 30 minute, hour, 90 minute spiral that, uh, Neil mentioned a minute ago. But, uh,
2: what it is, is when you compare it to normal choice in games, there's almost a methodical nature to that, where you can very much be a yin and yang sort of thing, where you're, okay, I get it. It's one thing. Here it's compulsive. It's like, it very much preys on that sort of, Without, it doesn't tell you what the problem is or what the solution is. It's giving you options in a very abstract way. And therefore, yeah, it is preying on your compulsion to go, Oh, well, if I go there, I want to know about that and like that. And it's like, and I like that about it. I really do. I just think that's really key to why it works as a subliminal choice system. You know, it's like, Yes, sure, you could go for the base choice and that's really obvious and oh maybe that's a commentary, whatever. But again it goes back to this idea of what people are and what they choose is going to be different. And it does come down to the thing, what's the first thing that comes in my head, that I'll go for that like that or how would maybe that will connect with that. It's just it is compulsion, it's not rational thought really when you get down to it. You know, you can be methodical if you want, but it, It it takes a lot of um, restraint, I think, to get there.
0: I totally agree. And if anything, you know, not that I have any experience in being a detective, but in my uh, many years of consuming uh, crime and detective media, whether it be movies or games, right, it's the idea that when you approach a case that has either gone cold like this one or just a case in general, right, it's that the ones that need to be broken can't be broken by approaching it methodically in the same sense where it's like, oh, here's steps one, two, and three, and we'll automatically solve the case. It's more so a moment of when you're kind of like, let's try something that goes against every indication that I have as a detective or somebody that's interested in this mystery. And those end up being the most rewarding interactions I find with immortality and the various clues that come through those types Mm -hmm. of media. But uh, I think when we come back from our break, we should dive a little bit more into – you know, the performances that make this game such so a remarkable piece of storytelling. And of course, the writers, uh, you know, it, that worked alongside Sam Barlow and in corporation with uh, Half Mermaid that made this something that feels transcendent between the errors that it jumps through while, you know, not having that whiplash that I mentioned uh, earlier. And we're back from our break. And uh, I think it's only right that before we delve too much into, you know, The fact that this story is able to transcend different decades and not have the whiplash that I initially assumed would happen in terms of, you know, when you're jumping around between time periods, there's going to be certain things that still seem very similar, which then it's almost like, well, are you actually jumping between time periods or is this more of like a show? Whereas that's never the case with immortality, I found. And, you know, before we give a lot of credit that's due to the writers of the game. I think that we need to delve a certain amount of equal credit to, you know, the starlet that's at the center of this game. Uh, that of course being uh, Marissa Marcel, who's played by in real life, of course, man Gage, uh, who does a fantastic job at handling these three separate roles, but mm-hmm. it's more than that, right? And it's something that we've kind of referenced a few times, but it's, in this game, it's not just examining film footage, but different types of footage. It's mm-hmm. film footage, it's rehearsals, it's a making of behind the scenes. Sometimes it's just a filmmaker or cinematographer that has the camera rolling after hours doing scouting. Mm-hmm. There's so many different types of media that we're consuming as the player with these people in these different periods. And, you know, engaged does such a fantastic job of not breaking character. And if yeah. anything, showing the growth that you would assume an actress or actor has when you're talking about films that ranged from 1969 all the way up to 1999. I mean, Andrew, how was this performance for you, and how did that kind of define your time with the game?
1: I think it is the crucial piece of the game, right? Because if she strikes a false note, that's a huge detriment to the game, right? She's playing, like you said, she's Marissa Marcel, but she's also... Um, I'm forgetting the character names, but she's, you know, the young woman who's pretending to be a monk in Ambrosio. She's, you know, the artist's muse in Minsky. She is playing two characters in, um, two of everything. She's playing both the pop star called Maria and the, um, woman that she hires to take her place, basically, to like be her stand in for certain things that she's doing. Um, and, I think that uh, Man engaged nails all of the different tones that are required, right? Because we're talking about like how these look like movies from different eras, right? So like um, Ambrosio to me looks like a you know a period epic, like you know like you would see like Cleopatra or Spartacus or like something from that era where it's very like, lavish costume design and set design. But you can tell that it's coming at the end of that, like, after the Hays Code has sort of phased out of existence because there is nudity in it and sex and violence. And Minsky feels like it's fully a product of, like, the new Hollywood. It's, like, an an anamorphic widescreen. It's gritty. It's location shooting. It's about, you know, like, a detective uh, you know, mystery that feels very of a piece with, like, movies that would come from that era, like Dog Day Afternoon or, you know, um, Dirty Harry or something like it. Or Clute, I think, is the other one that I saw it compared to. And then Two of Everything feels like it would come from the 90s. It's shot in, like, this full-screen aspect ratio. It's like, um... The film grain, I think, is less noticeable in that than it is in the other two. While still feeling, like
2: that period of time you know i don't know if you know but there are films from that era that that are so distinguishable as being from that not just because of your own personal nostalgia but just they have an air about them it's like yeah early 2000s absolutely it's there right like that and and it captures it perfectly i think we are so close to it that it's hard to sort of remove yourself from it as much as like Mm the 70s which is very you know distinct no um, mm-hmm. in the evolution of cinema but yeah
1: it, it is there
2: absolutely is there
1: it's noticeable because of aspect ratios and the way that it's shot and like the two, behind the scenes for 2 of everything are seem like they're shot in like a digital video like 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 little mini cassettes and um the behind the scenes for the older stuff looks like it's shot on like super 8 or something like that is like the the thing that you're noticing first, at least for me, is that it's like the whole way I'm seeing this is different. But man Gage's performance is just as crucial because she's the thing that carries over in basically every clip. She's in just about every clip of this, um, at least from like the the three movies and like behind the scenes stuff. She's in all of those clips. Um, And she has to modulate her performance to match all those things, right? She has to be a little over the top for Ambrosio. She has to be a little more grounded for Minsky and she has to be like pretty naturalistic for two of everything. And then behind the scenes, she has to be perfectly naturalistic, right? Because she's just playing a person. Mm And then, even between that, she has to modulate because, like, she could be behind the scenes where she is just completely in her element, or she could be on a talk show where it's like one of her first talk show appearances promoting these films. And those are like very different ways of comporting yourself. And she doesn't strike a false note, in my opinion. She nails all of those things. And that's a virtuosic thing to have to do as an actor that may not be showy in some ways because she doesn't have like super. She doesn't have a ton of, like, Oscar scenes, right? Like, she doesn't have stuff for... It's yeah. not Oldman stuff. It is
2: just very much like, uh what was it, character actor stuff. Yeah? The sort of stuff that would, again, be very perfect for for what I've seen of Lynch. Yeah, The mm-hmm. people who would just do stuff and you don't really notice it in the grand scheme of things to begin with, but then you appreciate it more as mm-hmm. time goes by. But that person is then front and center. And, mm-hmm. yeah, one of the things I think I noticed, you know, again, without going too deep into what it means, but when you see the scene readings in that 1999 period, mm-hmm. you know, and the way she's or even in the early ones where she is absorbing all of it in a very different way to everyone else. And it's very clear. And, you know, and that is very you know, important in the way the story is being told. And you can see it, that that is the most magical part of being an FFV game, is that you are getting real-life reactions, real-life uh, emotions and performances. And she's there just giving you this very subtle sort of sense of, like... that, Almost like it's not beneath her, but she... She knows enough to just be like, I, I don't need the bullshit. I know what I'm doing. I, I know where I'm going mm-hmm. like that. And I'm drawing myself into this situation. And, you know, she has a hunger for it because she wants to feel. Yeah. I feel like I really, I, no, I'm going to go no further with that because I really would just push too far into <laughs> spoiler <laughs> territory. But yeah, mm-hmm. she is very much acting upon acting upon acting. Yeah. Is the best way to put it.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. her ability, I think, to, it, you know, and it comes back to this idea of just the way in which you're hyper analyzing scenes. And some of the most memorable moments of the game for me have been when the camera breaks and they're kind of, you know, or they yell cut after they filmed a scene and then seeing her reaction and interactions with other characters And just like the very subtle things, but her ability to do that to, you know, either switch up and just immediately like emote something that's clearly at odds with what she's been doing in that previous scene that reveals something about what is going on behind the scenes and what you're going to delve into further. And the ability to do that, you know, multiple times throughout the experience. And again you're able to really track her trajectory as an actress and just her experience throughout the different periods in a way that feels like it doesn't miss a beat regardless of how far you get into the story and you start to learn more about what's going on behind the scenes. Which, if anything, I think, again, it's something that even if you don't find out the mystery within the first few hours or you're still kind of just like at a loss for what's happening, there's Mm -hmm. a level of engagement there that I find to be incredibly remarkable in the sense Mm -hmm. that you can be invested in these people past what is, like you'd said, not exactly Oscar caliber performances, but it's the best possible replication of what a character actor would be or just a genre film in general, which I think again is the game's probably greatest strength. And it's a testament to, you know, Sam Barlow's writing. It's a testament to Barry Gifford, who's, you know, Mm -hmm. a notable Lynch collaborator who wrote -wrote, co-wrote Lost Highway, Wild at Heart. You also have Amelia Gray who wrote on Telling Lies. Also, the Netflix show Maniac. The USA uh, Network showed Mr. Robot. And Alan Scott who was behind films such as Don't Look Now, The Witches, and most recently The Queen's Gambit. I mean, there's a quality of writing here when paired with that performance that really did engross me in a way – that even if I don't understand the significance of something, even if it is a clear example of like, for the time period, stock standard sort of genre fare or character performances, again, it's done so in a way and it's presented in a way that I found it to be something that I still wanted to know more about, or it was something I was analyzing to want to find a greater significance behind. There was no point in this game, no matter how lost I might have been in the mystery, how confused i was in my 30 minutes with the game or the first hour um at the same time though like it's a game that constantly had me engrossed and wanting to go just a bit further down that rabbit hole and that's not an easy thing i think with a game that so mm-hmm. heavily relies on in mystery and you know there are not being a great deal of hand holding the game is unapologetic of how long you have been investigating and haven't either selected something that's a major key or, you know, triggered a certain achievement in terms of, oh, I've strung together this many clips or this many plot threads. It's completely unconcerned with that. And yet at no point playing it, was I ever bored? Was I ever like, well, this is kind of, I'm tired of returning to this scene because of the amount of depth again, that is tied Mm. to every scene every interaction, every performance. And, you know, for that, it's definitely a highlight in a way that I have not experienced with a lot of FMV games or just, you know, mystery mm-hmm. games in general, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would I would definitely encourage anybody that hasn't played Her Story and Telling Lies. So in this conversation, you, Jay, but then all of our, all the listeners as well, to like go play those games because they have a similar Telling lies, especially. I prefer telling lies to her story, um, partially because its cast is larger. It's got four main characters and then, like, you know, some background players as well. But that game ha- captures a pretty similar feeling where you feel like you're, at least for me, where you feel like you're sitting on the couch and going down the rabbit hole. And, um,. That one also is solitaire, so if you ever get bored at some point, you can go play some solitaire. So that's fun too. Well, that was a highlight. Um, that was <laughs> yeah. that,
0: that was going to be my uh, my final question actually for you, Andrew. Was which one should I check out first? So it sounds like I'm I'm going to dive into Telling Lies, but uh, after yeah. I finish Immortality. But you know, you just mentioned something that I think is notable to, enough to bring up in terms of you know we talked about uh, Man engages performance and how pivotal that is, but. You know, the compliments that I would give to her performance, I would largely give to, and, you know, she's obviously the focal point, so it's going to be, you know, much more uh, exemplified in that matter. But, I mean, in terms of the rest of the cast of this game, from what I've read, this is Barlow's not only biggest game in terms of the scope, the types of footage, but the cast as well. I have to say, in terms of the larger cast, again, typically when games strive to get bigger and bigger from each iteration of the next... I'm somebody that's always pretty hesitant of that because I'm like, well, you're going to start to lose a lot of, you know, the quality or the texture, if you will, that intimacy with the certain elements, the bigger something gets. But with immortality, as big as the cast is, for the most part, I find a lot of the people that pop up throughout the different films and footage, Mm -hmm. they don't miss a beat in terms of jumping between those characters in terms of, you know, conveying the same sense of importance with, well, if I'm clicking on this one person, there needs to be a reason for that past. Oh, they were in another movie. There's a furthermore, like their performance details something more so than just providing exposition, which you might think that would be their sole purpose.
1: Oh, I was just going to say there's one guy that only shows up for probably three scenes. And I don't think this is really spoilery at all. It's pretty unimportant. Um, But he is... In Minsky, he's originally the guy who's going to play Minsky, who is the artist Mm -hmm. who was was murdered. And he is having a hard time getting on board with what they're doing. Like, he is annoyed having to do the sex scenes for the movies. And he tells them, you know, like, he just is sort of not into the sort of avant-garde stuff that they are into. And he says, you know, I've seen one, I've seen plenty of new, uh, new waves in my time and I'll see plenty more. And, um, that guy's performance, like it's not as multifarious as what man Gage does. Like she's playing many characters and doing all of that well, but he's perfect for that character who has to show up for three scenes. And that is like the thing that sort of blows me away about this is that an unimportant character, pretty unimportant, like you could go through the game and basically get the whole story without seeing this guy. But, like, for what he has to do, he's perfectly cast. And that is pretty wild for games, because I think of, like, games like Far Cry or, you know, like, any open world game that has to sort of expand its cast to that size. It's like, once you get to, like, you know, people that are in, like, side quests that most players won't see, you're going to see a drop-off in, like, the level of vocal performance. And in this, like, the cast is pretty big, and I don't really ever see that drop-off. I think it's pretty consistent across the board yeah. it is
2: constructed very much like a film yeah it's like uh, in a in a proper sense of a film where characters are given their importance based on how many lines they have and where their impact lies within the story and that kind of gets forgotten i would, it's funny we are we talking about this um it's very weak i i was talking to the, te- the new tales that the uh, the Borderlands developers, and saying, and you know, it's like you've got a lot of characters here doing the same kind of thing. Where you had this sort of buddy cop role of like a straight man, funny man thing. It's like, how do you balance that? How do you how do you balance so many of those pairs with trying to one a make it serious, and b you know not have one drown one set drown out the others and that that's difficult you you have to know where to make your roles work you you have to know where to have a hierarchy and it's not to discredit you know anyone who's acting in a film you can have maximum impact in a film whilst having like what two lines you know it's like we've seen it many a time, where someone's yeah. come into a film, said a couple of lines, and they are iconic because of the way they have delivered them, mm. with with the way director has shot them. That that is important, you know. And I think Immortality is very good at that. You know, it's with its sort of mash of you know actual filming stuff and behind the scenes stuff, it makes you curious for what they're doing uh, yeah. and it makes it curious for people that you don't really know and half the time you don't remember the name of uh which is <laughs> yeah you know, the, na- the, the nature of film you know it's like you you, you watch something and you go oh, I, I like this guy i like that guy like, what What? who the fuck are they what have they done sort of mm-hmm. thing and yeah. it does that really well and, and i was mm-hmm. very impressed with that side of it
1: yeah i think of um Licorice Pizza from last year. I don't know if you guys saw that, but like Harriet Sansom Harris in that movie has one scene um, where she shows up as like a talent agent that Elena Himes' character is going to meet with. And it's the funniest scene in that movie. And it is probably my favorite scene in that movie. And she's only got one scene that she shows up. Like, if it was up to me, she would have gotten an Oscar nomination for how good and funny she is in that scene. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's a very. Paul Thomas Anderson thing where you can have people who don't show up for very long having a major impact sort of thing but yeah I think that was like the most nuanced version of that that really was just like the encapsulation of what he can do well you know before it was like they get a couple of scenes or they'd be like the the fifth character in in a uh, thing like Magnolia and still be uh, getting a prominent role but yeah that that was like him learning I suppose of um how to sort of have a punch in a role without you know having it be the focal point and that that's good that that's really good about that.
1: Yeah and I think immortality does that well too where it just has characters that show up for a scene or two make a big impact and then don't need to be there again like there's something that'll happen in this game if you click on somebody who's only in one scene it will zoom in on their face then zoom back out to show you that they don't have any other scenes um and there are a few of those that like i'm disappointed that they're not in more yeah but click on their face wanting to see more of them it's
2: curiosity it rewards that idea of curiosity of like they did enough in that scene that I want to know who are they? What what have they right. done in this whole puzzle that I'm trying to solve? And I like that, you know, we, um, you yeah, know, we were talking just before this in the break of this about um, TV shows and stuff like that. And I was talking about murders in the building. I, you know, one of the joys of that is how they sort of piece together this sort of stuff in very podcast fashion about, you know, a murderer. Like, oh, how does that connect to this X, connect to Y, and things like that. And there's a little bit of that to this, you know, like the uh, murder podcast sort of fad, if you will, where where you are just sort of, as much as you can sort of roll your eyes at it and go, oh, okay, it doesn't matter. And like that, there will be one that, Hooks you and takes you in, you're like, and and Sonic, you don't even realize it and you're there theorizing about it and speculating about what it could be and who could be doing this and that and the other. And yeah, immortality immortality really does just get something about that. You know, I think it's an underrated part of the uh, experience is that as much as it is like a game, it is like film, the sort of murder podcast scene that is there you know, to sort of really deep dive on things, whether they are important or not, is also a part of it. You know, it really does make up a section of this in a surreptitious way. And yeah, I I was yeah, eh my bag, but at the same time I appreciate what it does and it was here you know, because it was a small part of what is here, it made it more enticing to me because, you know, I suppose it's like if you were to try a drug you know, and you would, t- you know, if you would take too much of it at once, it would be a horrible experience and you'd never want to do it again, blah, 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 like that. But you would take that little bit of it, a little bit. That, and you had a good time with it and everything, the experiences that sort of came around that were great. You'd be like, Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. You could suddenly see why that would draw you into trying that experience again. Cause you want to replicate that feeling, which is what drugs and addiction is. You know, you, you are trying to replicate something that happened once and n- generally never quite getting there. And yeah, that is what that ends up being. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that something that we've touched upon that I definitely want to mention is that every single piece of footage, when you approach it, might seem like it's like, well, this is kind of filler, right? Because yeah. every time you interact with something, an item, you, with whether or not the audience realizes it, because I was definitely of the, of the case, we chatted about it before we were recording that there's a small audio cue that plays when you interact with something in a scene. That unlocks a new piece of footage because you start with this small pool of footage. The more that the player kind of explores, goes against their own sort of, you know, uh, their general sense of like how I'm going to interact with an item, how I'm going to, you know, prioritize characters, environments, or item, or props, if you will, um, is going to dictate largely just their overall sort of detective journey, if you will. And something that I found that was incredibly rewarding was the fact that every single instance that you unlock, whether or not in that exact moment kind of have that revelatory moment of, oh, this is important, it's shedding some light on either the mystery, the trajectory of the film and the process of making that film, character relationships. I think of one scene where three characters are running lines. And it comes about that one of the characters has never said fuck on screen before. And so <laughs> mm. they basically have the character say it ad nauseum until they feel more comfortable saying it on camera. And that's mm-hmm. a bit of the game that initially I was just like, oh, that was like kind of a funny scene. That was just just a byproduct of filming a behind-the-scenes rehearsal, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it ends up, you know, being something that becomes more about your knowledge of that particular character and where Mm -hmm. they were. And it Mm -hmm. basically, it might be a minor sort of informing of their place in time when that movie was shot, whether it be them as a person, as an actor and whatnot. But overall, it is basically informing a part of that character in a way that is very subtle, but it's very Mm -hmm. genuine. It's giving you this look into a character that's behind the scenes that was never supposed to be published. It was something that a player might not stumble upon for the first few hours, even, of Mm -hmm. playing the game and investigating. And yet, it's a revelation that further informs you about this person, which I think is the greatest compliment I can give to this game in that, you know, you're viewing these scenes of a film or the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, and you're like, okay, these are actors. This is the film that they set out to make. I want to uncover this mystery, but... There's so much more in just exploring a game and the sort of footage in a way that you might not normally that ends up being so rewarding, which sent Mm -hmm. me down so many little, again, come back into that rabbit hole that replicates what I would imagine the feeling of being a detective is that finds that big break. And Mm -hmm. that I find to be something that is so easy on paper to say you're going to accomplish with a game. And how many times do you play a game that says it's going to do that? And then it's like, well... You find these one, two, three clues and then you immediately, you know, solve the case, which to be fair in this game, if you were to, you know, highlight or prioritize specific things, you get to the credits faster, but there's Mm. no way you have the same amount of appreciation as Mm. a more linear detective story or game, if you will, um, that tries to do the same thing. I mean, there's, it's the type of thing where even if I hit the credits earlier than I did, I would still want to immediately go back and see what I missed because mm-hmm. I just want to be in that world more, that time period of that world more and uncover just mm-hmm. more yeah. and more, which then might make me, you know, to what Neil has been saying, like it might make me interpret certain interactions more. And mm-hmm. that comes back again to the writing, the performances, no matter the context of the scene, The this is just a game that is very subtle in a lot of ways and those subtleties end up adding up to an experience that's more remarkable than if you had this big, you know, Oscar worthy monologue, which makes mm. it filled with these aha moments that, you know, they are notable, but they're not necessarily like the end all be all of your personal sort of trajectory in that investigation. Yeah.
2: There's it, mm. it something about it to me that um, really appeals as a sort of general vibe, which is sort of this illicit thrill finding something str- you know I, I, I've i always mentioned the the, the uh, illicit thrill finding something strange on TV mm-hmm. at like 2am mm. Is it, like something I can often talk about as being one of my favourite nostalgic touchstones you, know, mm. it, you have to be of a certain age certain rate to sort of have that I mean people aren't going to get that anymore because yeah. it, it's not really a thing but to me, it feels so special because I had so many experiences like that, and so it's stuff that you almost don't believe that you've seen, but you remember it, like almost like it's this weird sort of waking dream, you know. And even when, like, the content of it was largely normal, yeah, you know, in general, if yeah, seedy to to a degree. Um, yeah, it's there, but um, immortality sort of gives me that sort of feeling, like big time, mm. like mm-hmm. to the point where I almost have like this false memory of you know, UK people will get this especially like uh, of early two thousands Mark Kermode doing like an introduction to these lost films, reeling off this sort of uh, impassioned speech quietly, um. Mm that sound informative magical maybe even perverse you know Uh, Mm. um like he's appreciative of the time and of day that you're watching this and wants to let you know that these seedy little lost gems are have this dark history behind them and he wants you to he wants to educate you on them and see beyond what most people would see as like oh this is gory this is cd this is whatever that is special you know when I've talked with Jay about this in previous podcasts about this sort of 2am watching thing it's usually been about the gore and like the stuff that is very um you know extreme in that sense but then I think you know, this is very much like films on multiple channels where you, you just tune at that stupid o'clock time when I was always awake and see some weird shit, you know, like very, you know, artistic stuff, and that was the way it was treated. It was treated like uh, you can't show this in the daytime. You you can't show this at ten o'clock at night. This has to be on at two, three o'clock in the morning, like that. And it makes you feel like it's lesser at the time. And but if you're into that sort of period of cinema and that feeling of cinema it suddenly feels like you've personally discovered something and Lynch I feel is part of that because I I remember that being like this big thing at the time of no, his films going on at that time and being you know oh well because I was saying before we started this it's like beyond what I've watched recently with uh, Mulholland Drive and uh, the Twin Peaks and, and the subsequent series yeah. my early experience with Lynch before then was watching some of Blue Velvet you know and uh, that is the perfect embodiment of um, that experience where you're not sure if it was ever really a thing you know uh, uh, but it's there and you know to me Carl uh, McLaughlin ever, anytime I've ever seen him on that it's like the, the brief Images that burning were burnt into my brain from the, the bit I'd seen of that. You know, not him in Twin Peaks, not him in How I Met Your Mother. You know, it's like that was him to me. You know? And, um, or not even GTA 3 uh, thinking about it, but, um, yeah, it, that was my go to experience for Carbon Club. And, and yeah, it, it's, again just weird how you can come at these things in these different ways and maybe you know that that again just comes back to what we were saying about how you can come at this stuff from very different experiences Um say these movies were all movies that came out which they do feel like as i was alluding to you would you, one person may be like oh someone told me online that this is a movie i should watch so i'll watch it fine you have an expectation you first but then you have the people before then that came on and sort of stumbled upon them because they were high or drunk or fucking tired or whatever or an insomniac at, at two three o'clock in the morning and had to see this shit Online, uh, or online, not online, but, or on the, I mean, online would be fair too. But, we'll see it on the TV and go, what the fuck is this? Like, like, uh, and be mystified a bit, because you would never see it outside that time. And that is what was special about TV at that time, that you would just get these movies that would, you would never, ever see them again. You know, that they would only come on at that time. And it didn't matter the quality of it; it felt special because they were only coming on then, like that. And you had this sort of fleeting glimpse, and it's like you had to be in the right place. And the mechanic that immortality uses, where you can sort of sort of roll back to these secret things it holds, kind of taps into that bit, and feels like it's unlocking memories of something that you didn't know you'd even seen you know Mm -hmm. and suddenly sort of unveils a secret aspect of it and yeah beautiful just beautiful Mm -hmm.
0: i definitely relate to that and somebody that you know grew up in the 90s where i didn't have the internet until probably closer to like 2000 And I did get like sci-fi channel and I would catch these little clips of movies that I wasn't supposed to be watching, but I would Mm -hmm. generally, you know, throw on the TV when I could. I would see maybe 15, 20 minutes before one of my parents realized, oh, somebody's in the living room watching TV when they shouldn't be and come in and basically Mm -hmm. chase me back to bed. And it was the thing where I would watch these more often than not, you know, sci-fi horror, just straight up horror movies and wouldn't have any context for what I was watching Wouldn't have any real understanding of even what I was seeing, you know, at such a young age. But it was something that felt unique and it felt different than what I was used to watching. You know, what I was Uh probably supposed to be watching that was age appropriate. And, (laughs) Uh you know, that's a quality that I definitely agree, you know, translates into immortality in the sense that, you know, you're only going to find those Major case breaking clues through the ways in which the player all comes back to player agency, the way in which you're able to, you know, be determined enough to interact with every scene in different ways. Granted, there is, of course, a rumble cue, uh, if you will, when you're watching a scene and it's like, Oh, maybe I should interact with this differently than I am. And I won't go into how you should do that, but you can figure it out it's not all it's not all that complex but that's beauty
2: of it It, you have an organic nature to it and it lets you figure things out without i mean yeah it makes you feel stupid maybe occasionally where you're thinking oh fucking hell why didn't i figure that out sooner but at the same time i like the level of trust that the game places in in you to sort of figure Mm -hmm. that out for yourself rather than just like Molly coddle you at the beginning and say no, this is what you got to do with this you know, it gives you those basic instructions but it doesn't They go out its way to say and then you've got to do this and then you've got to do that and this is going to happen so you've got to do that when that happens Sort of thing. it pushes you to sort of fiddle again, you know what I said about how this feels like a more intimate hands-on experience than previous Ambalo games that's mm-hmm. that's the way for me where it really does click because suddenly you figure these things out for yourself. You're not getting a hint about it. And it I mean, this is especially true for people reviewing it or playing it before embargo because they're not going to have people out there putting out the guides to say, you should do this if you want this, you should do that if you want that. It's like, it feels m- more like an exciting experience. And yeah, it's... The beauty of it in that, you know, that you can just sort of go on the fly and just think, Oh yes, I'll try this out, I'll try that out and again rolls all the way back to that idea of like player choice and it being more compulsive rather than you know methodical. You know, it it works so well in this game in that regard.
1: Yeah, I um I recently had a very nostalgic experience when I watched the buried secret of M Night Shyamalan, yeah. which was a a fake documentary from around the time the Village came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that it was like a it was like a documentary that Shyamalan had commissioned Sci Fi Channel to do, where it was like he was pretending to have had this like. The story is that, like, he died when he was a kid and was brought back to life. And so that experience has been, like, informing all of his movies. And he has, like, this connection to the spirit world, basically. And the movie is pretty stupid. But the version of it that I watched on YouTube was, like, a straight rip from the sci-fi channel. So it had, like, the the sci-fi logo at the bottom. And then when you got to the end, it had, like, the the part where the the credits slide over to the left side of the screen and then it showed advertisements for Stargate Atlantis and Stargate (laughs) SG-1. And I was like, man, this takes me back to just being in my house as like a 10-year-old when my dad was watching the the sci-fi channel. And um, there is something that we have lost through everything being sort of We know where it is. We can go and choose to watch it, but we rarely come across things by accident. Like, I think of... I noticed that phenomenon the most when I was, like, a teenager and, like, how much more I would enjoy it when a song I loved came on on the radio instead of me, like, putting the CD in or finding it on my iPod. Like, it was always more fun when it, like, the universe served it up for you instead of you finding it for yourself. And it feels like because we don't have stuff that's programmed for us most of the time. We instead are, like, seeking out the content that we want to watch. We so rarely have that experience where it's just, like, place and time. I'm watching this because it got served up for me. Yeah, it, it's backwards, isn't it? It, it, it?
2: That 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 realm of it is almost back to the origins of television, you know, and movies where it's, like, it's going to be whatever's playing, whatever's got the most pull, mm-hmm. you know, that's it, and that's it you don't have much more choice beyond that. And yeah you know, that, that was yeah. the daring thing about the seventies and eighties is that we get so much nostalgia for it, you know, but it's not the right nostalgia. The nostalgia that deserves to be there is mm-hmm. the weird shit you would just find, you know, and just mm-hmm. the crazy exciting things that would come out of it that would, you know, echo into decades beyond it. You know, it's like, I just you know, I made that Mark Kermode reference. It's like you know, I have such a great memory of him sort of telling me about um Zombie Flesh Eaters and Dawn of the Dead and like that and how informative it was and he wasn't condescending, he wasn't trying to be shocking about it. You know, he was telling me about it in a way that was like, Oh no, this this is you know, I understand that people are gonna be like icky about this stuff, but this is why it is important. This is why it is cinema, why it um, is part of the cultural landscape. And I think that's why they stuck with me, you know, because it was someone telling me that they matter, you know, and you have to understand the conditions they came from. Yeah. You, know? you know, as a result, Fulch and Romero, you know, are among my favorites, you know, because of what they did in those films. Yeah you just don't get that kind of access now. If someone makes a film these days, or, or a game even, it's not so much about the talent behind it. It's it's usually about, oh, it did this thing, it did the X thing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You are trying to look for a hook. And while that's no different from what it's ever been, like you know, you're trying to find a way to sort of find your market in the world, it's so much more difficult to break out from that lower end of the market and by being daring or oh yeah you know, because people generally when you're talking about the big audience want safe stuff they want stuff that's explainable something that's easy that's going to be you know I was only having this sort of conversation about games with my brothers this week where you know I ever of them already into it in the way that we all used to be you know, like that, it's a passing thing for them now. You know? And I suddenly realised how hard it was to explain even like the most popular sort of stuff. You know, to even explain The Last of Us is tough. You know, yeah. and so to, I could not. You know, my brother, my my next brother below me in terms of age, like you know. Back in the day, you know, he, he was so into stuff like Donnie Darko and recreation for a dream and like that, that it, which really was just like counterculture to what he was like as a person. But I couldn't explain this game to him and make him so... it, but I know that it would be perfect for him. You know, if he was really into that sort of thing like he used to be, it would bring back those feelings, you know, about what made that. You know, I suppose when you're really involved in media, like we all are, you know, like it's so easy to see the joins, you know, of like, okay, you know, we know this has changed, so that's why we can be cynical about that and how much it's changed. When people aren't really involved in it, they are just waiting for someone to tell them, this is what you like now. And that's it, you know, like that. And they don't think about it as deeply. And, you know, hence why we get a lot of, um, Pushback from criticism of anything that's very popular, you know, in, in this medium. So yeah, it's an interesting sort of cycle that the, this whole thing goes on. That I am so proud of what Half made have done here to make something that really just doesn't care. You know, it, it's really not trying to be preachy or reaching for anybody. It, it is something that is very honest about what it is and continues to be from the second it starts to the second it ends, no matter who you are. I understand that people will take that differently. And there'll be people who are, you know, very intellectual, very much writers in their own right who are going to find fault with that. That's no different in any medium of any film, game, music, whatever. You know, that, that, that's going to happen. But yeah, to see in this medium, how well received this has been was really heartwarming. Cause you know, I, mm. I just had this with like, um, Saints Row, the Saints Row reboot, where I was thinking I was going to be one of the lower ends of the spectrum by giving it eight out of 10. And you know, then I'm fucking indirectly getting called out by diggers who don't really cover games for giving it that score as being like, you should basically hand in your badge for giving this game the score because it's so terrible. It's like, well, dude, but it, it's mad. It, it, it's, you look at it and think, well, why can't you see? Why can't you see more to this than this? You know, it's like, I think games have not quite reached that point. You know, it's like, but when I see a game like this getting the reception it does, beyond the very obvious or, or artsy-fartsy terms that you would think, it's genuinely encouraging and refreshing.
0: Well, you know, that that's a great uh, segue into what I wanted to bring up before we wrap up. Um, you know, while the three of us are overwhelmingly positive, and I should preface yeah. uh, this next question by uh <laughs> mentioning that uh Andrew actually reviewed the game for, you know, thegamer.com, yeah. awarded it four and a half out of five stars, which, you know, is a pretty score. decent score, if you think about uh-huh. it. Uh, <laughs> right. But you'd mentioned something in your review and you followed it up with the following article recently. Um, that made me really think about my time with the game mechanically speaking um, and mm. you had mentioned that you found the match cut system which we've mentioned which you know is when you click on an item interact with an item and it cuts to another scene um, mm. you found that that fell a bit short of the potential that such a concept could have um, and I right. was I was wondering if you know for our listeners and you know Neil and myself if you would kind of elaborate a little bit more on just like how that feature, could have been improved upon and maybe where it fell short of the mark because both pieces really made me think about my time with the game in a way that challenged my experience with it. And so I would love to kind of pick your brain on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so for listeners that aren't especially, um, you know, fluent in, like, the language that we use to discuss, like, cinematic techniques, a match cut is when a film transitions from two shots that have similar composition and can it will communicate something to you about the link between those things usually in the way that those are put together so like one instance is at the beginning of indiana jones there is a cut you see the paramount logo this is the first indiana jones raiders of the lost ark there's the paramount logo which is a mountain obviously and that transitions to the first scene of the film which is in the jungle with a mountain in the background and so it transitions from a mountain to a mountain that's like at, at its most basic level it is two shots that look similar but aren't the same shot basically um in my article i mentioned 2001 is space odyssey which is one of the most famous has one of the most famous match cuts where at the beginning one of the you know apes throws a bone up in the air it mm-hmm. rotates and then it begins to come down, and as it's coming down, it match cuts to a satellite, which is shaped similarly to the right. bone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that cut, there's all these layers of meaning that are contained, right? You yeah. can say, you know, as far as we, as far as we advance from like, you know, early, like pre-human history to the apex of what we've achieved so far, there is still the chance that technology will be used for violence. You could read that in or say that regardless of how far we evolve, there's still this tendency towards barbarism in our nature. Like you can draw all of that meaning just from that sequence of cuts. So when immortality advertised itself as a game where you would search by match cut, that communicated to me, okay, so a bunch of the meaning that I'm going to derive in this game is going to be by, going from similar composition to similar composition. And in the trailer that they use to show it off at the PC gaming showcase, which is where it got its first like gameplay reveal, the shots that they use are all very similar. So if it goes from a woman to another shot with that woman, her face is in a very similar position in both shots, or it goes from a, a cross necklace in somebody's hand to a cro- a bunch of Polaroids arranged in the shape of a cross on the wall. And those are in like very similar shots. The, the composition is similar, but the way that it actually works in the game is that like, it's just search by object or search by character. So like, the example that I use in my article is: there's one part where a boom mic comes in at the top of a shot, and I clicked on that, and that took me into another shot where there was a microphone sitting on a table at the bottom of a shot, nowhere near where the boom mic was. It was not a similarly composed shot at all. It was just the same object, and that'll the same thing will happen where, like, if you click on Marissa Marcel's face, it will take you to Marissa Marcel in another clip, but she's not going to be positioned anywhere near where she was in the shot. She might be facing a, sim- a different direction, and so that's not what a match cut is to me right like a match cut there is information that is being communicated to me through the selection of shots that are being sequenced and that's not really the case here and so that's was a little bit disappointing yeah as i said earlier there there are
2: points where whether meant or not that they do feel like that you know where you know it, it feels more subtle and then it's like where you get in a tone to one shot to the other, where it's not like just the object to object, but there's like something about the scene you just watch to the next scene that like, oh, that really works. And I suppose that's probably a fault of just being a game that is very much designed about the idea of, you know, you taking it in your own way is that you're never going to have that consistency because it would take such, such, such meticulous planning
1: to make that right. work. So
2: you're, yeah. you're going to get such a hit-and-miss structure.
1: Yeah. And I hope that, you know, in the same way that Telling Lies took the, you know, search bar-driven yeah. gameplay of her story to another level, I'm hoping that whatever Half-Mermaid does after Immortality has more of a focus on those compositions and having there be some sort of... something that's being communicated by the shots that it... Mm cuts between and a similar composition rather than just those. I think they can do it. It just is, like... Like, I realized that, like, what I wanted this game to do is, like, a entire another layer of work, and this was already so much more ambitious than what Sam Barlow had done before, right? It's, like three full movies that are there. Like, not completed movies, but, like, through, like, rehearsal, read-through, like, actual shot scenes, you have full three completed movies, plus this supplemental material, like, through talk shows or through, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. So it's already, like, a gigantic achievement. It's a huge, expansive game. I... Justin sort of disappointed on the basis of the way it was marketed to what the system actually is in the game. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was a pretty big, pretty significant sort of shortfall of where I expected it to be in terms of that usability.
0: It's definitely the type of thing where I think maybe that was especially why for me, like, playing that 30-minute section, I was trying to, like, understand why I was cutting to certain scenes because then I would jump to a scene and it was like, well... I'm not picking up on any thematic connection or emotional connection between these two scenes. And it was solely tied to, you know, whether it's a repeat of an actor or an item or a prop that I was interacting with. And, you know, even in playing the game at, you know, playing the retail version of the game, getting to dive into it, obviously, with, you know, more time and all of these things and understanding the core mechanics and picking up on puzzle pieces and things. It was the type of thing when I started to reach a certain point after more than a handful of hours, I was like, well, I want to get pointed a little bit more in a direction thematically Mm. or, you know, having more of an understanding of these characters emotionally. Again, not to say that all of the praise that we've heaped on this game, you know, for the last (laughs) 90 minutes or so uh, was undone Mm. or anything like that. And it's why, you know, when we have these types of conversations about games like this that we almost equivalently, you know, love as being a highlight of our years, just based on, you know, the praise. And of course, Andrew, your review indicating that um, it's the Mm. type of thing where it's like trying to discuss these things, having critical, you know, constructive criticism of it at the same time though, it's kind of like the idea that it's like, you still have to address the fact that at times, no matter how infatuated I might've become or engrossed I became with these people and the stories that are being told through these different films and supplemental material it still is kind of aimless at times right it's if i was not so engrossed with the production value of everything and wanting to you know genuinely dive in more into these people and where they were in certain decades it's still the type of thing though where it's like okay if i click on this cross I need there to be more significance than just the cross itself or this glass of whatever. There needs to be a greater significance, I think, at a certain point in the experience because, you know, the first five hours of the game I found, I'm so overwhelmed with wanting more information about what I'm seeing. And then, of course, the sporadic nature with jumping between time periods, it's like I don't necessarily care what information I'm getting in those early hours because I just want more of something. And when you get to a certain point in the game, it's like when I begin to be more invested, be more defining in what I'm chasing, essentially, I want it to that way when I'm clicking on something to have a greater significance maybe than what I was looking for in those opening hours.
1: Right. And as you get pretty deep into the game and like to the extent that I have to be careful on how I talk about this, mm -hmm. but there are there is meaning that you will find in the links that it shows if you click on certain characters to what it shows you next and i really can't say yep. more about that without getting into <laughs> spoiler territory but um yeah there is stuff there that's where i feel like it most there is the most communicated between the match cuts is when you get to a certain level in what yeah in what clicking on characters will show you, but sure. if it sounds like I'm talking about this in a very stupid way, it's because <laughs> I because like, if I literally say one word wrong, it's going right. to basically unveil the whole secret of the game. No, but- no. Yeah.
2: And I think one of the main things that I take away from the whole match cut system is that, yeah, if you take it in the very real sense of what a match cut system should be, it doesn't work. I agree. Absolutely. But, you know, I am someone who swims in the waters of vagueness really well. And I like that about the, the the idea of this match cut system is very vague and very swimmy. And I like it. I really do. I think it kind of fits what the game is doing because it feels almost supernatural in itself that, you know, you shouldn't be able to do it from front of the minimal tools you have at your disposable you shouldn't be able to just oh jump to that. You don't have the full tool set, which I wonder you know, I imagine you know, early on in development of this, that there was probably a more complex system in sort of piecing all those things together. And I'm glad they didn't go with that because this feels more like the ghost story, it is, you know, uh, that is literally as close we can get to uh spoiler territory i think is to say that it has that element to it where almost cronenberg-esque you know in terms of you have something that's very normal very mundane with technology but it has an element to it that feels uncertain and you know even if you have a basic understanding of it it doesn't feel right you know I don't fucking know about film editing or editing in general like that, but there's something about this that feels wrong, and I feel like that's on purpose. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's a purposeful choice. Yeah, you know, I think we were discussing before we did this podcast about you know I, I was wondering how a lot of the criticisms towards the game came in those moments of um, being very into the process, and I get it because. I almost think it's like trying to juggle those two things, you know, like it's trying to juggle a general audience and trying to make them feel what is wrong with something they don't understand whilst also making people who do understand feel uncomfortable, you know, and it's a difficult thing to balance and maybe it doesn't all come off, but you know, it is. if it makes you feel something, then I always feel that's a good thing, you know, and yeah. Whether you realize or not that that is the reason you felt something about it. It's there, I think.
1: I think one of the ways that this game is most Lynchian, and that's a connection that I've drawn and other critics have drawn, and Barlow has drawn himself by bringing Barry Gifford, one mm. of, you know, Lynch's collaborators onto the project. Um, but one of the ways that it feels most Lynchian is the way that it uses sort of, more normal, um, presentation yeah. to smuggle in stranger stuff. So yes. by the time you get to what's really weird about this game, mm-hmm. you are already probably bought in. Mm, you know, yeah. it's probably at the point where you're not going to nope out of it in the same way that you would if like it led with the weirdness. Yeah. You know, by the time you get there, you're already probably in hook, line and sinker, yes. which is a pretty, I mean, I think of like Twin Peaks is like, that show is very, like, at times very cozy and, like, sort of, like, the town feels so idyllic, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it has
2: something about it underneath that you, you're you looking and thinking. I mean, coming to it now, like I have in recent years, mm-hmm. you know, without having any sort of aura for Lynch, you know, to watch the initial pilot movie, for me, I found it, I was like, okay, I, I see the promise of what this is, but I don't fucking see how it works. But, you know, I'd love to go back and reappraise that now, having watched, like, the first season and then seeing how that sort of unfolds, because as it gets to the tail end of that, it all works out. And it manages to achieve structure in a very traditional sort of compelling sense of TV whilst being weird as fuck and doing <laughs> yeah. some sort of <laughs> shit in there. Yeah. And a lot of shows were doing that in the 90s to different degrees, but here it's just like, it's mad how quickly it brushes that aside and whilst continuing to do it. And yeah, this is very much a game influenced by that sort of style for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, my only filmic reference point being Mahalan Drive is, you know, it's there too, where it's a very simple thriller on its, surface but there's just something about it underneath that just doesn't feel like other films of its ilk
1: right yeah I mean that movie yeah that movie feels like it has like the first half is largely like a a pretty straightforward like erotic thriller yeah. that is like has some moments of weirdness like the the scene with the dumpster is in yes. the first half of the movie but then it's like it flips itself inside out for the second half or not it probably isn't a full half
2: yeah and this again just comes to it where like i appreciate something that really sort of twists and turns and takes you on fucked up journeys and you could do it in a really obvious, blatant, blunt way. Great. But that has to be your sort of mantra throughout I think. Where, But it's so much more effective when something just needles at you without you even realising it. And, and you sort of, then you go back to what you've been watching and go that seemed normal. That yeah. seemed really mundane. But when you put it in the context of everything else, suddenly it becomes something else. And you have layers upon layers of things. And yeah, again, going back to Immortality, it's there. There's You go back to scenes you've seen before and you'll naturally come up across certain scenes again just for your searching. And yeah, in gaming terms, normally you'd be like, oh, I'll skip this bit, go to the next bit like that. But sometimes you just linger on it and you reappraise it. And that's more of a film thing than a game thing. And you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, you know, I now with the extra context i have i see this scene in a new light and brilliant yeah that's great to have that sort of subtlety there is i mean it seems like it should be something that's really simple for anyone making a film really oh you know you can have layers but it's really fucking hard i mean that's got to be said hasn't it and to do that in a game is remarkable for me yeah
0: It's an expert deployment of something that you would be expecting. But when it shows up, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in this, it hits like a ton of bricks. I mean, without delving into spoilers, it's the type of thing where the first time that I reappraised a piece of film footage and interacted with it in a different way and had a major Mm -hmm. revelation about Mm -hmm. it. And obviously, you know, not only just connecting it to something else, but quite literally what was revealed to me. I mean... Mm -hmm it's probably one of the best moments I've had in games this year. It's definitely one of the most memorable moments I've had in games in the last 10 years. And just having this holy shit type moment, but Mm. it's not just because it was noticeable. It's not like it was the type of thing where I played for two hours and then I finally had a revelation. My entire two hours leading up to the revelation were, you know, they were perfectly uh, enjoyable. They perfectly Mm. informed me in different ways But it's almost like the legwork that goes into that big revelation. I mean, it just makes it that much more prevalent in being a standout moment of not only the story, but just in terms of the game's ability to make you, you know, reevaluate things that you had been viewing previously. I mean, the amount of footage that I revisited from my first two hours with the game in my fifth and sixth hour of the game, it was like I was coming to it in a new way. And, you know, quite literally I was, but it wasn't met with the same amount of maybe disregard that I would have in some more traditional games where I'm like, well, I've had to do all this backtracking. Why the fuck do I have to visit this area again, run through these steps? It was more so just looking at it with a more, maybe keen eye, if you will, as the game Mm -hmm. had taught me the way in which I need to look at these different films and segments and character interactions and all these things we've been talking about. And it just makes for an experience that, is as rewarding if not more so in the fifth hour as it was in the first hour and i find that to be an incredibly you know just noteworthy experience over the course of not only just this year but the way in which i view fmv games and barlow's ability again you know i'm speaking from a place largely of ignorance just my only experience being immortality with his games but it just speaks to the way in which you can't put games and storytelling and games in this box that some do. Because a game like Immortality and a creative talent like Barlow will come along and be like, well, you think you have an idea of how you can describe these types of experiences. Again, I bookended this episode by doing a great deal of explaining on how the game's played, but when you really sit down and actually, you know, utilize those mechanics and see how the storytelling complements it in more ways than, you know, you can really even perceive or understand in the first four or five hours of playing it, it's the type of thing that the experience becomes more and more rewarding the longer you stick with it. And you don't need that handholding that maybe in the first 90 minutes you wanted because the game intuitively informs the player that, Oh, well, if you want to get something out of this, it really is the best case of you get out of it, what you put into it. And, you know, for me, that was apparent within the first 30 minutes of it, where I was just like, well, well, I don't need hand-holding anymore now that I've got a grasp on it and I've started to uncover things that, at the end of the day, don't necessarily explain a great deal, but it's that sort of breadcrumb of understanding even the most minute of details that really does blossom into the greater mystery of you And
2: interpretation. You know, it, 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 that, that's the big thing about it. The less it lets you know in those early hours, the more you can interpret your own personal feeling on it. and yeah, it, it deserves that. To... um Go into sort of discussion of like this, um, because it is such a strange mix of, you know, media. I think what ultimately works for anyone coming into this is to have a sense of humility, um, when talking about any medium. You know, when it comes to games, when it comes to film, I think snobbery doesn't work. And I think Andrew puts this across quite well, despite concerns you know, uh, uh, with like the match cut system. It's like, he can appreciate what the game does despite a concern like that coming from like a, an educated view. And that's the way to be about things, I think. And to really sort of embrace the whole of something like this, you know, if you get too caught up in like, well, I knew this from my film studies or I know this from my game playing, like, like it just, you're not getting the point, I feel. And I think this is where you get divisive games and films, music, whatever. And that's great because you know it it means we have stuff that doesn't just feel like, oh, everyone agreed, everyone gave thumbs up and then there'll be this crowd in the corner that are all sour faces because it's popular. It's just there being not as well-revered as the big stuff, but has its audience and then there are people that hate it, people that love it, people that don't understand it. And it all adds up. You should have that because not everyone's going to come into that same sort of feeling, you know. know, We have to be honest, even for ourselves. Sometimes you kind of have to be told how to look at something to um, really appreciate it, and that's no—it's no harm. You know, it's no harm to be told that you're looking at something in the wrong way. It's not condescending to you. Um, unless it's like they're already saying like no your opinion is wrong and you can never be right unless you take these steps it's like it's more of a case of someone saying can you consider that if you looked at it this way you might get more out of it and when you get things like this yeah, and this is again like i said why i'm so excited about a game like this because it it feels like so many of the games that i've loved over the years that do these sort of things they are the ones that what games used to be and what popular games are don't really match what most of the yeah the majority of the audience are going to be, but it doesn't it doesn't take away anything from them. You know, it's like in much the same way that cinema is like you know you can declare the death of cinema because you know screens are fucking you know, cinemas are closing and they're dominated by big budget Disney films and whatever. Doesn't mean the other films have gone away. It just makes, it's just, they're harder to get to. But, you know, if people would open their minds up more to that sort of thing and give those things a chance, then you would have more of those things and you would have more diversity in the bigger projects instead of this sort of faux disparate diversity in things. You know, you would have something enriching that was made just because that's what it was always going to be not because it no, checked off you know, a, a list of things that people think they want and i i this is such a rarity in that regard it feels mean to even sort of punch at it you know and say oh no well you didn't do this you know like that As very yeah as far as criticism goes to, to give to something like this it I think it is something that deserves the plaudits. It deserves hype. It deserves pushing as a thing more than anything because sure you, you can go back and retrospect it. You can say this, it didn't do this right, didn't do that right because that is what helps push this medium into new areas. But the other side of that is showing what it does right and focusing on that because if you're only really vague about that, and everyone sort of nods along and says, mm, okay, yeah, it did this, it did that. We end up with a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't understand what it's copying and sort of has a vague idea and does this something like it. And then we don't really learn from it until someone else bothers to try. You know, and I mentioned earlier that it, it, this game really should be more pretentious than some of the stuff, uh, you know, that it's more blockbuster, but it's not because it really is done from a place of love and understanding of what it's doing so it should be treated as such it's very easy anything pretentious in most people people's eyes is always going to be you know anything they don't normally get along with and that's it this isn't that it's just it knows what it wants to be if you're not in that area understandable you're not going to as uh, affected by it. But you can still gain something from it.
0: It's the type of experience that I think for people like us, it's probably the best example of, you know, again, blending different mediums together Mm. while at the same time, you know, people that view it from a surface level examination, it's not going to appeal to them in the way that we would hope that it would. You know, it necessarily is is not going to be the type of thing that it's like, well, this is bridging the gap, For those that wouldn't already be somewhat inclined to dive into something like this, that is such a a a hodgepodge of different mediums, you know that blending of film and the interactivity of games and whatnot. But for people that I think at least have an open mind to it, if anything, you know we've been talking about the match cut system and that having, you know, maybe some elements of it, which would be more refined. I find Mm -hmm. that the match cut system, the way that it is now, it's the type of thing that. It does feel far more welcoming, if you will, to people that wanted to dive into an FMV game perhaps for the first time. You know, I can only Mm -hmm. speak from my experience. Somebody that had not previously played a Barlow game had played some FMV games, but it's from far back in the day for the most part. And yet I was somebody that was kind of like, oh, I'd be interested to see how they bridge that gap. And if anything, the match cut system feels more intuitive than maybe some more traditional FMV experiences and whatnot. You know, Mm -hmm. might still have some reservations, you know, as Andrew illustrates in his uh, article and in his review a little bit, some elements that could have made that even more pronounced or more, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries of that idea of like the blending of film and games and these things. But overall, you know, I would say that this feels like a game that has a lot more depth to it than some might Imagine, But if anything, you know, ha- being much more approachable, perhaps, than some other Barlow games, uh, just based on our general conversation, uh, I think makes it something that would find a home on Game Pass in a way that maybe, you know, some of his other games had not previously, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but if I mean, anything- it's
2: also just very much suited to controller. Uh, I think more than mm-hmm. any other game before it, I think that really sold the intimacy of the experience for me. It, it really just... yeah more than ever but with any of the other games um maybe that just speaks from where i am but it, it really did just like i said it felt like you were in control of the situation in a way that you weren't for weirdly typing stuff which almost feels like a secondary thing nowadays to be more tactile mm-hmm. as this game is um yeah it just worked
1: yeah i think it definitely feels like it removes that um like a layer by getting rid of the typing like it feels like you're much closer to the experience than you were before because you can just click you can just think i want to see what that is and click you don't have to go through the extra process of taking what you're thinking about putting it into words and seeing what that brings up you can just go from image to image
2: yeah which is a and that you know, is it's a very universal language you know cinema has that power and this is why I said it was a great system in terms of like having a personal feel to it is because even people who aren't very cinema literate will will understand what draws their eye and go somewhere with that you know that that's what makes it so intoxicating as a thing to use so i think yeah it is like the natural evolution of it you know where we look at many games and how they've tried to become more accessible over the years, you know, from what their core ideas were. And if you think of this as, you know, a spiritual sequel to what Barlow's and Half-Mermaid have done, then it's natural. It, you know, it feels right to go this direction because, you know, words, as Twitter shows, are really hard for a lot of people. And to articulate yourself within that, can be difficult because you can't even begin to think of the context of it. one word you know uh, in the correct manner so images now that that's more evocative you know that, that's something where you can go oh, okay well you can take very different meanings from this but it and you're not wrong for doing it and in a way you're not really judged for your underlying impressions of what you're thinking in that shot, but yeah, it takes you somewhere that your um, thought process is unique to, and that that is the least judgmental way of doing a choice system, I think. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I, and in a time where we're very much about ideologies and um, you know sides and whatever, in terms of like how you choose to view things it's weirdly you know for something that very much has splinters in its ass in that regard um, for sitting on the fence it it's doing it in a way that feels healthy and natural and like no we're not trying to inform you how you should feel like that it's like it's all about you it's like we have our story we know how it's told you can approach it However the fuck you want, I like that. Whether you, whether you're a fucking cinema nerd that thinks Persona is like this thing, I have to, is a film, not a video game series. And, or if you, you know, you think The Last of Us is Citizen Kane, it, you can get something out of it, you know, and you're not wrong for thinking either way. And, and for someone that is, you know, coming into this as such a, you know, cinema aficionado as Barlow, that's a really positive viewpoint to take, you know, and really tantamount of what he is as a person to and his studio is going for as a vibe to really marry the two vibes of what are games and what do they do well and what does cinema do well and throwing it all together and somehow making this...
0: As we've discussed the uh, the benefits of various mediums, Andrew, I hope that you found uh, chatting about the game with us as rewarding as uh, we found, you know, reading your thoughts on it, and uh, hope that you know, in you being very generous with your time and chatting about it now with us for two plus hours. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed chatting about it in a little more depth as much as we have. Uh, of course,
1: yes, I was looking for... I mean, I talked about it a little bit on the Gamer Podcast for, I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes, but nowhere near as in-depth as we've been able to go. So, yes, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And, you know, as much as we talk about movies and games, podcasts are the true best medium, and they're the future. So everybody should listen to podcasts you know it's more important that you listen to podcasts than that you play this game so thank you for listening to it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh before we let you go free to plug your twitter side people can you know follow all your terrific work over at com, and you know maybe perhaps future updates on your uh, short film which I, we just learned about oh. while chatting with you
1: yes um well, my Twitter is at funnel chest ninety four. And if you want to read the article that we have referenced a lot in here, well, you can read the review. That's just called Immortality Review um but the article about the match cut system that i wrote is called i thought there would be more to immortality's match cut system so if you want to read more of my thoughts there that's that's where that is yeah we'll
0: link them both in
1: the uh, episode yeah. description as well for this excellent one. perfect
0: absolutely but uh, as always my friend thank you for uh, chatting horror with us we always appreciate your time
1: of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at SafeRoomPod for show updates. You can also email us, pod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.